Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And today we are working on ascending. Not saying that we're going to be better people. I mean, I hope, I hope we are. But our topic is ascension. So Yeah, we're talking about the ascension of Jesus Christ, which is uh, portrayed in several of the Gospels, including the Gospel of Luke in the at the end of the 24th chapter. And then it is also portrayed again at the beginning of Acts of the Apostles, written by the same author. Uh, and uh, in, in the same way that when we watch a TV show, it, that it follows a, uh, a narrative from episode to episode, you get that little bit of previously on Lost or whatever. Lost? I mean, wow. I, yeah, that's, that's a throwback. If you ever watched it on the very, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil some things. Okay. On the final episode yeah, I've of seen Lost, the, yeah. the microphone tack on his back. I don't remember seeing that. Okay, he's running through the jungle. He's got this white shirt on, this thin white shirt on. Yeah. And it, when it shows over his shoulder, you can see this giant thing up under his shirt. Uh, and it, they, they just forgot to edit it out. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so now you have to watch or, it again. Or it was some part of the the whole thing that we just didn't figure out about what was going on. Maybe so, but <laughs> previously on Luke Acts. Right. The, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And this time, in the summary, we get a lot more details, which to me indicates that maybe people wanted a little bit more information about exactly what happened. So Court's going to read for us today, and we're going to see kind of what happened uh, from Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 4 and go through verse 11, if that's all right with you. That's fine. So this will be from the... New Revised Standard Version, I believe, is what the lectionary website uses, and therefore I will use it too, because God forbid I turn a paper page. Acts, 4, 1, Acts 1, 4 through 11 says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up, up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken, taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thus ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So, true to form, we are Pastor Potluck, and uh, this scripture is a conversation that Jesus, mostly is a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples over a meal. In verse 4, it says they were eating together, and he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem. In fact, the whole flow of the conversation is around this meal table, but uh, either the meal, I don't know if you noticed this court, but either the meal was outside or he, he ascended through the roof through of some the roof. From yeah, there is a Jesus-shaped hole in some <laughs> roof somewhere. It has to be through the roof. Could have been, could have been. Or they had a picnic, you know. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a, not as dramatic. 
disciple. I want my Bible dramatic. <laughs> picnic. Uh, Esther Jarrett was leading our lectionary group yesterday, and she mentioned that um, in certain classical depictions of the ascension in artwork, you can see uh, the, the, the feet, the bottom of the feet of Christ going up into the clouds. And then if you look on the ground around where the apostles are standing, there's a pair of footprints in the ground. Like he got some momentum. So interestingly he... enough, uh, and I, I, I chuckled when she said that, not at her, because, but just because I'd never thought about that. But when she said that, I had this thought that I did not share with the group because mm-hmm. there was someone in there that I didn't know, and therefore I didn't want them to be potentially offended. But the first thought I had is the ascension of Muhammad. Okay. And right there in the Dome of the Rock, in the rock, mm-hmm. there is what is claimed to be a footprint from his ascension. Yeah. Okay. Like, Holy cow, that's amazing. And I don't know why that interests me. Yeah. You can send your angry e- emails if you're offended by that, to courtgreen at yahoo.com. Well, I, I studied Islam in college, the, and uh, important to note, the ascension of Muhammad is not like the end of no, the story of Muhammad. No. It happens in the middle. He took a trip. He took a trip, and he spoke to, I think he spoke to Moses and to God, and uh, he wanted to know how many times the faithful should pray. And God said 50 times, but Moses, being the argument argumentative type that he is said no 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 no. don't take 50 go back ask for less <laughs> you gotta haggle come on <laughs> you gotta haggle with god so he, he went back eventually they got him down to five and so uh, muslims play, pray five times a day christians um historically pray four times a day um depending on what tradition you follow but if you look back in time you'll see that there's a tradition called the hours christians uh are oftentimes, um, or I don't want to say oftentimes, but in, in many Christian traditions, there is an expectation that we pray morning, midday, evening, and nighttime prayers. Um, now, if you haven't been doing that, I don't think that you're going to burn a hellfire for not praying four times a day. I hope not. But there are resources uh, if you would like to make that part of your prayer life. And and having had uh, uh, Muslim colleagues at, in my previous line of work, which was international development, I, I really gained a respect for that interruption of their day with prayer. It seems to me that if you're praying four or five times a day, that it's really hard to lose sight of like what your personal motivations should be. Because you're always coming back to a conversation with God. No matter what you're doing, you say, okay. It's time for me to stop and pray again. Or, I, I have this on my mind, but right there in my in my recent past, like an hour ago, I just spent time with God. Mm. And then a few hours go by, and it's like, well, now I'm tempted to do this, but I got prayer coming up. Mm-hmm. So it's like it always keeps God top of mind. Yeah. And actually, I think that's helpful for us as we get into this scripture before us today, because um, Jesus' command to them, in verse 4, uh, at the picnic or in the house that he's about to blow the roof off of, mm-hmm. uh, he orders them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the fa- what the Father had promised. And uh, that is the Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, which has not happened yet. But that, ca- that, that brings us to a really interesting conversation about what it means to wait. 
And um, I wonder, Court, what you think that that word means. Like, what is that command to wait? And are we called as Christians at any point to wait today? And what does that look like? I believe that it's a loaded term Hmm. because often the question is, for what, though? Like, okay, I'm supposed to wait. For what? And we don't always get to know. And that is characteristic of the God that the Bible represents. The promise to Abram is one that took forever to fulfill. Hmm. The promise to all the patriarchs is one that took forever to fulfill. Uh, and that continues. The promise to Moses that we're you're going to see the promised land, but you don't get to go in it, and it took you forever to get there. The promise to Joshua that you know, the promised land is yours, now go take it. But in Judges, it's still not all the way taken. Uh, and this this has been constant. And I think that there, that's a, on purpose. And I think that there's a point to that, that you are waiting with God, in closeness with God, to do things with God, not until, you know, like we think about Christmas. You mm. just wait four more days and then you get your presents. You know, that mm. kind of thing. Mm. But I think far too often we hear the word wait and, and our response is to just sit there. But I don't think that that's the kind of waiting that we are expected to do. Because if, can we skip ahead to the end of the thing? Yeah, absolutely. When you see these men show up in white robes, two of them, mm-hmm. in verse 10, verse 11, they open their mouths and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? You've been told to wait, and you are. Why are you just standing there? Mm. Now, our response would probably be, well, we were told to wait. That's what we were told. Yeah. And it seems like their implication is, yeah, you're supposed to wait. You're not supposed to just stand there staring. Mm-hmm. You're going to get neck pain. Wait and do something. Mm-hmm. Do something while you're waiting. Yeah. One of the things that I've discovered about me when I'm in emotional turmoil or stress is that I must stay busy otherwise if I'm doing nothing and I'm alone with my thoughts then it it can be a dangerous thing Hmm. I'm not saying that thinking is dangerous but if I can dwell on something and let it drive me crazy it's just bad Mm -hmm. I had a a moment today in the shower where I just started really thinking about things and and how certain things are going and I just got to a bad place and I was like yeah I'm going to turn this off and do something but when I do something when I occupy my time productively, or even not productively, just not negatively, and, and and I am using this energy that otherwise is just trapped and and being, you know, feeding the toxicity, then suddenly, you know, not only do things get done, but I feel better about myself, uh, and so we can spend our time waiting hmm. actively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so an active waiting versus an idling is is kind of what I've written down here, uh, and it, yeah, it seems I it seems to me that this is what these disciples are are kind of coerced, not coerced, they're nudged uh, to do by these two uh, figures dressed in white. They needed a catalyst. Perhaps they are angels. We're not sure. We, we're just we're given the description: two men in white robes standing next to them. Maybe a reference there to Daniel. Not sure. Um, our listeners can look that up and 
get back to us about it. But uh, do something while you wait. Yeah, and I think this active form of waiting is something that um, we need to encourage the church to do today. I mean, it doesn't mean that we forget about the promises of God and what God is um, uh, has promised to fulfill in us. In the disciples' case, it was giving the Holy Spirit. Uh, but uh, but there is work to be done even while we wait. Um, and I wonder what you would say that work is for them in in the time uh, between the Ascension and the and, and Pentecost or for us today. Well, it seems like just from reading beyond these verses, it seems like their work was pulling themselves together. Because I don't think when they were just standing there gawking at heaven that it was necessarily that they were lazy. I think it's an important implication in the in the men in white robes statement that they need to get to work. Mm-hmm. And, and we should be challenged by that. But I think it was more or less they were just bewildered. Think about what they just saw. Think about what they've been through from Holy Week to this point. Right. We're so excited. Triumphal entry. We're so excited about what's going to happen with Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Jesus just got arrested. Oh, my goodness. Jesus just got crucified. Holy cow. He's dead. We just buried him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there he is again. Mm-hmm. And now he's gone again. Right. Okay. They've been through something traumatic. And, this fo- and, and it ended with the guy they followed not flying because that's active. Notice he was taken up into heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay. So God the Father was the one doing the stuff. Mm. And... How could you not just stare at either the clouds or the God-shaped hole in the roof for a while? Mm-hmm. And so it is okay and, in fact, encouraged to be amazed by God mm-hmm. and, and, to, and to take a moment to let the awe of what you witness when, Jesus, when you have an encounter with Christ resonate. But right after that, I think what the men were nudging, as you said, them to do is what they do. And they start to pull themselves together out of this this haze of just being shocked. And, and out of this world of bewilderment where they don't even know what's up. And they get together, they pray, they start the work of... You know, finding out who's here, who's not, what are we going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, they replace Judas Iscariot, and, and and they prepare themselves for what's coming next, even without knowing exactly what that is. Right. And I think this is something any of us can do. Because mm-hmm. how did they do it? They were with people who were were there to serve the Lord, and so they they got together with people where they could find support. And they joined one another in prayer, seeking God's guidance. Mm-hmm. This is something any of us can do. And it is certainly a form of active waiting. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, they've been through a lot. Uh, perhaps a traumatic experience seeing the, their teacher, their beloved teacher, uh, betrayed by someone in their own group, um, killed by the Roman government, um, uh, the the occupying government, uh, you know, with uh, collaboration from the leading priests, you know, the the leaders of their own faith. This is a group of Jewish Christians or um, Galileans. They're called, but they're not the Christians time. yet. Yeah, they haven't even received that title. 
So there is probably a, a grieving that's going on, and that takes time. Uh, it says before the passage that we read today that Jesus was with them over 40 days. 40 days being a classic, um, you know, a number that has a lot of significance in the Old Testament as far as a transform, transformative period, whether that's uh, thinking about the flood and the 40 days on the ark or thinking about the 40 years in the wilderness. It's the time that it takes God to take a group of people and form them into something new. And that's what that's what God is doing in this waiting period for these disciples. It, you know, we read further, like you said, they're going to have to figure out, pull together, who's here? And uh, it says that, they, you know, the company, the family of believers was a company of about 120 persons. That's significant as well, right? That's 10 uh, times 12. So each person of these disciples um, brought a group of family members or friends or somebody else. They, they reached out and they've, they strengthened those bonds of community which is what we all need to do when we're going through a time of uh, adversity or uh, of uncertainty or of trauma. We, we pull together, we find out who's here, where's our support network. Um, and they prayed, they prayed. And they, and they figured out how are, the, how are we going to be a community together going forward. So this is a much more dramatic thing than what we are living through. But if you think about where we are today right now in the life of the church, especially, I mean, not especially, but particularly because we live here in America and them, they had just seen change thrust upon them that they had no control over. And something different was going to be expected, not only expected, but needed for the church to continue. Mm -hmm. That's where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so maybe it's time to follow their example to join together and to pray and to figure out how can we continue how can we thrive specifically how can we do it in a new way now that things have changed mm -hmm. and i think that many of us ask the first half how can we continue how can we thrive but it's, it's a bit of a challenge to ask how can we do it in a new way mm -hmm. now most of us are like well we had to get online i guess we'll stay online that's, that's what I said anyway. But I think God wants more than that from us. Right. We're on, we're on the cusp of a, of a big change. And I, I read us, I read our church, our 21st century church into this story as well, having been through um, the pandemic and all of the shaking and moving and rearranging that happened there as far as getting... Um, more of an online presence, learning how to support one another across distance without shaking hands, without hugging. Now we're coming back and, and there will be parts that we are able to reclaim from what we've lost. But just as these, uh, these disciples have been through a, a dramatic shift in kind of their own identity from being, you know, just working people from Galilee who had you know, a vague sense of their identity as Jewish pe persons to now having been the closest uh, followers of who they believe to be the prophesied Messiah who was rejected by the religious structure. I mean, it's a huge shift. They've had to take the time to reflect on that 
but it's an active waiting in that they're prepared they're preparing themselves by making themselves uh, by opening themselves up to what God might possibly do with them in the future Jesus gives them a hint of what that might involve when he says at the picnic that uh, they will be sent after the Holy Spirit has come upon you uh, to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I just want to make a note here that there are two sets of scriptures appointed for this coming Sunday. One focuses on the ascension. The other is called, uh, kind of in a boring way, Easter 6b. The Get sixth Sunday after Easter. Yeah. Get clever, lectionary people. Well, and so I've read both sets, and the, what 6b <laughs> says, or the, the, the kind of general message of the scriptures that are appointed for the sixth Sunday after Easter, has to do with the sending of the apostles, has to do with the, um, with the Great Commission, has to do with testimony that the apostles are giving. And so there is a, there is a parallel here in that, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to give them and equip them, uh, give them what they need, equip them for testimony, sending them out into the world. And so how do we prepare ourselves in this period, this 40-day this period for ourselves in a, in a symbolic way, this period in which God is shaping us into something new? How do we open ourselves up to what that new thing might be even if we don't know it yet or we haven't seen it yet do you have any sense of what we should be focusing on now i think a way to do this is to focus on what god is doing to understand what we should do hmm. and i think that i'm going to get back to what might god be doing in the church and today by looking at them so god shocks them by taking jesus up snatching Jesus through the roof. Through the roof. <laughs> uh, I, he's married to the picnic. I'm married to the hole in the roof. Okay? Anyway, so shocks them, and essentially there's, they realize, okay, you're left with this. You rebuild the church to reach beyond what it was. Hmm. Okay, well, first of all, there was no church yet. But re, rebuild this movement Jesus started to reach beyond what it was. We are now going Jerusalem, yes, but also... Samaria, Judea, and the ends of the earth. They hadn't reached the ends of the earth yet. Hmm. Okay? So it's, it's to reach beyond what it was. What if today God has shocked us or used events that already happened to shock us and wants us to reach beyond what we were? Hmm. Okay? I think that is the case. I have to hope that that is the case. That being said, what was going on is that they were waiting on the Spirit, they were getting ready for God to do something. God then gives them the Spirit, enables, does it at a moment when there are people who were faithful to God surrounding them from all corners of the earth. There are no corners of the earth, but you know what I'm saying. The known world. So that they could hear the message in their language and then take it with them. Mm -hmm. and disperse it their focus needed to be on what God is doing because God was already doing it while they were waiting mm -hmm. 
So I think our role now needs to be, well, to be like the disciples who had no idea what God was going to do, but was prepa- but were preparing in some way to be receptive for it. Mm-hmm. We also right now don't have any idea of what God's going to do. I think it's fair to say that, I don't think it's fair to say that God sent a coronavirus to destroy anything and just to shock the church. But the church has been shocked. And I think it is fair to say that God is using that to create something new. We don't get to know exactly what. Mm-hmm. But like them, we should be preparing ourselves to receive whatever that is. Making ourselves more obedient so that whatever it is, we will be ready to jump in. Most of us, if someone said, hey, there's a group of people, just open your mouth and start talking. Mm-hmm. But they don't speak my language. So what? Mm-hmm. They'll hear it in their language. Most of us would not believe that. Most of us would be like Moses when it comes to trying to give a speech. Oh, I can't talk in public. Okay? but And there's the parallel between the New and Old Testament. Anyway, so these disciples, on the other hand, they had been preparing themselves to be used somehow. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how. But when the Spirit comes upon them, it enables them to act. And that's why we have gifts. We don't have them so we can go out and make a living with them, although if you can, great. We don't have them so that we can be looked highly upon by our peers and our religious crowds. If that works for you, fine, but that's not why you have your giftedness. We have our gifts to use for the church. Hmm. Not to get more people in it necessarily, although that's great sometimes, and especially if you want to go to either Long's and Crusoe or First Baptist. Anyway, <laughs> we have them for building up the church and building the kingdom of God. Well, joining God and building the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so we need to spend time preparing to receive and and becoming more obedient so that when God calls us to act, we will be ready to hear it mm. and to act. Mm-hmm. Trusting God for the miracles. And uh, so I think that's that's helpful because it really sets up, as this chapter does as a whole, uh, the acts of the apostles. And... Uh, it's funny that that's the title of this letter because many people have called this this letter the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The main character, the main actor through all of this uh, book, all of this letter, is the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a much is a much more difficult person of the Trinity to follow than Jesus. Jesus, God incarnate, living, flesh, breathing, saying confusing things, but then around to ask questions to, giving us a living human example. The Holy Spirit is a little bit more difficult, but is sent as a comforter and a guide. And that's the the training that these, these disciples are... Uh, being uh, invited into is to attune themselves to the presence of the Holy Spirit, giving them the courage and the confidence to step outside of their normal comfort zone as they attempt to fulfill this last commandment that Jesus gives them to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When they receive the Holy Spirit, you know, signs and wonders come about things that they didn't expect 
and people become a part of their community whom they didn't expect to be welcoming in. And that's a, that's a testament to how the Holy Spirit is moving. And I think that that's also something that we can learn from today. Uh, that, uh, you know, we have the scriptures, thanks be to God. But God is, some, is Jesus and the Holy Spirit are alive today, working through our communities, uh, working outside of our communities, working beyond our communities. And just like these disciples who were here at the Ascension, started to learn that they they could go out into the world and actually see the Holy Spirit moving ahead of them, working before they even got there. I think we need to open ourselves up to the possibility that the Holy Spirit is already moving out there. Not not even possibility, I think it's a reality. That the Holy Spirit is... If it's not, we're in trouble. Yeah, is already moving and working. And so there is a sense of like, we need to be doing something, actively waiting, but I think it transforms into a, um, an active perception of where is God working now? Because it's harder to see with the Holy Spirit unless you're paying attention, unless you're you know, engaged in that regular prayer, but also moving out in the direction that the, the disciples were called. Um, and uh, I believe that that's our calling today too, to move out, to, to be perceptive to what the Holy Spirit is doing outside of our communities. So we've talked about active waiting, and I agree with you 100%. I think that's where we need to be right now, uh, and we need to challenge ourselves with it every day. My question is, why is it that we have fallen into passive waiting? And I don't know that this is the answer, but I'm going to give you this as an example of what we did versus what they did. So the verse that I read already, but I only came back to the first half of it, verse 11, the men in white robes show up. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing up looking towards heaven? That's where I stopped. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They say that. I believe it. They believed it. Here's the difference in what that belief means. These p- people say this to the disciples, and they think, well, then we better get to work. Hmm. People say that now. It's been a while. Still hadn't shown up. And we say, and when he gets here, then we'll get to work. Hmm. That is a very, uh, that is a diametrically opposed view to, I think, what was meant by that. He's coming the same way he went. There should be some urgency. Hmm. And we say, when he gets there, there will be some urgency. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that a lot of that is based on some flawed theologizing. uh, But I'm not going to get too much into that. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Yeah, well, maybe. (laughs) No, uh, uh, it's... Yeah, I think there's potential... Several potential ways to... um, to not conform to the nudges that these two men in white robes give the disciples. One of them is just to continue to looking up in the sky, which seems to not be what they are encouraging the disciples to do. I mean, okay, he's going to come in the same way that he left. Well, so we should just keep watching. Yeah. <laughs> right? So that's one. When did he come back? When did he come back? 
he's, he's a boomerang. Right. They didn't tell us when, you know, and like, do we need to be watching when, when that happens? I think what they're saying is like, you're not going to miss it. Yeah. You know, but the implied, uh, the implied command there by these two men in white robes is you don't need to stay staring up at the heavens. In fact, you've got work to do right now while you're waiting. Um, and, and not just to look busy, but there's actual real uh, work that you need to be engaged in. To me, that comes back to this community formation community building, looking around, who's here, who believes, who trusts in this vision, who still holds to the possibility that Jesus is the Messiah, and draw those those folks together. And to me, um, that means more than just within the group that, groups that we are familiar with, because there may be plenty of other people in our community who who still hold to that faith, who still hold to that hope, who maybe don't step foot in church. The actions of the early disciples is to gather that community without, within the absence of a, of a building or a denomination. They just said, we're going to figure out who's here, who believes still. We're going to gather together and support one another. That's their active form of waiting. So how do we do that today? I think one of the ways that we do it is we get beyond our temptation to stray from those questions. You know, who's here? Who's, who believes? How can we come together? Mm. Our temptation is to say, who's going to be the leader? Uh, how great can we make ourselves? Mm-hmm. And I think that gets that is reflected in the, in the disciples as well. They were tempted with that also. And we find it in verse 6. We'll come back to that. But so our, our first challenge, I guess, is to keep focused on what matters. Mm. And that is what you were talking about these communities and and we we wait actively by pursuing and maintaining communities of faith instead of setting up our own little fiefdoms and power structures mm-hmm. which is really what many of our churches and I, I that's with a small c many of our church and, and the big c if you look at the catholic church in the middle ages um this many that's many of our churches have done it's we, we started off saying, okay, we're going to be a community and we're going to work to further the kingdom of God. And very quickly it devolves into, but I'm going to control it. And mm. I'm going to call the shots. And we're going to do it this way and we're going to make sure that we dunk. And then those Methodists that sprinkle, you know, they can just deal with God later on that because they're wrong. And, and so it, division quickly crept in and made it not what it was intended to be. Mm-hmm. You mentioned verse six. We do. We ought to um, take a look at that in a sec. And just uh, briefly, I guess. What do, What do you want to say about that? Well, in verse six, it's the disciples asked. So when they had come together, they asked him, "Lord, is this the time when you restore the kingdom to Israel?" I'm not going to talk about his re- reply right now, unless you want to. But the question shows a lot about human nature. Their expectations were that when the Messiah came, the Messiah would be another Maccabee. That the Messiah would overthrow the Romans like the Maccabee, the Hasmoneans, had overthrown the Greeks. And that they would have freedom in their country. And 
a better life in their country, that they would end oppression and have autonomy again. And that's a, that's a fun expectation, but that's never what Jesus set out to do. Jesus set out to change life itself, hmm. to change how people treated one another, how people understood God, how even, quote-unquote, the chosen people understood God. Notice I didn't say Jesus set out to start a new religion because it never says that Jesus did. All that said, so often, even when we're trying to build a community, our temptation is to try to make God act in ways that we want God to act instead of preparing ourselves to be used by God for what God wants us to do. So we flip it. Because in this question, Lord, is this the time you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this embedded in there is this notion that we expect you to do what we would have you do as we understand it in our terms. Um, we want Israel restored. We've expected you to do this for a while. Now you've obviously gotten to a point where you're so powerful that the grave itself cannot hold you. No time like the present. Let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. That's what we humanity wants. We want to rebuild God to meet our expectations. And when we try to build communities of faith, it does not take long for that to creep in. What do communities of faith end up looking like? Well, businesses. Because mm. that's what we know. Mm. And so you got to be careful about that. And I think, getting back to the original question that started me talking about this verse, we maintain communities by learning to push past that mm-hmm. and to fight that temptation and to ask those questions. Who's here? Who believes? What can we do with that presence and belief? And just go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, restoring the kingdom to Israel was a huge uh, goal. I mean, it probably seemed like almost impossible given what happened to Jesus in the, the you know, 40 days prior to this conversation. And yet... Uh, that still is this lingering expectation that the disciples have that that's you know they have a it's like they have a checklist for the messiah it's like well we believe you're the messiah but we also have this lingering sense of like this is what we've understood the scriptures to mean that you're supposed to restore the kingdom of israel kingdom to israel so are you going to do that now and you can't really fault them too much we believe you're the Messiah, but we also know what we what a Messiah does. Hmm. We, we know what a Messiah correct. does. You we, know, we know how a Messiah looks. We've read the scriptures and we've interpreted the, interpreted them over and over and over and over again with our own interests in mind, such that we can't really read these scriptures any way other than what's in our own best interest, or you know what we think is in our own best interest. It turns out that following Jesus isn't in most of the disciples' best interest if they're talking about their, you know, their one mortal life. You know, it's actually a, a bad thing to follow Jesus if, for your health. Uh, yeah. Um, but when they when they set that expectation, they miss the they miss everything. They miss the larger goal that God has, which Jesus contains or offers them in his response that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem to Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth 
That is to say, we're talking way bigger than the kingdom returning to Israel now. We're talking set, establishing the, the reign of God on earth in all nations so that there will be disciples of all nations, races, creeds, colors, peoples, languages, that every knee shall bow. That's something that's out of the perspective of these disciples who are gathered here. They're still on that limited view. But Jesus is saying you need to move past that so that you can participate in the larger vision that I will give you. I really wish we had more time because there's one thing that I really want to talk about that's really controversial and will take at least 20 minutes to talk about, so we're not going to. But I hope that I can remember to get us back there again. Any other thoughts on these verses? I think that's it for me. All right, well, I'm, I've enjoyed it. These are uh, verses that many people just blow right past. We might focus on, on one or like the ascension and just leave it at that. But there's so much in there. And I hope that as we go through our various weeks, we'll be able to put them to practice. For Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. Peace.